Hi, Pastor John here. I want to thank you for joining us today. We begin a new series this morning. I'm calling it Lessons for Today from the Old Testament. At a time when it seems more and more churches and ministries are either ignoring the Old Testament, even abandoning it altogether, this series, which we will return to from time to time, is designed to show that the Old Testament is just as vital today as it was in Jesus' time, which is why our Lord and the writers of the New Testament quote it so frequently. Today's sermon turns the spotlight on a character named Balaam and asks the question, how do we know if someone is godly? So let's join the service for the answer. And if you would, hang around after the service. I'll give you all the details on how you can contact us. Starting a new series today. Lessons for today from the Old Testament. I'm very, very intentional in naming this series. Uh, I've spoken to you several times about um, the lack of focus on the Old Testament that exists in the church universal today. Um, I hear things like, uh, there's nothing there for us. Uh, It's history. Um, That was the Old Covenant. This is the New Covenant. It doesn't apply to us. And I've got to tell you something. If you kind of write off two-thirds of the Bible that quickly, you're probably going to write off two-thirds of what you need to know about God. Uh, So, these are lessons for today from the Old Testament. We're going to, to uh, do a few sermons, and you'll see it pop up every now and then. We're not going to be in this for a long time, but it'll just show up from time to time. Um, but what I want to be able to show you is a practical lesson in each uh, passage that we look at. And, uh, what, and uh, on top of all that, what that passage reveals about the character and nature of God. I mean, we're being conformed into His image, right? We should know what He's like. Uh, so, I'm going to ask you to turn to Numbers. Um, while you're looking at that, we're going to be in Numbers 22. Actually, we're going to be in Numbers 22 through 24, but you can find Numbers 22. Um, and I want to talk to you while you're looking for that about something I read in the local paper last week. Um, one of our attorneys uh, has been suspended from the bar. Uh, he specialized in in uh, divorce and bankruptcy proceedings. And he worked for a larger company that was somewhere off site of Warrington. Uh, and there were a team of people working with him. And they would find out who was filing for divorce, who was filing for bankruptcy, and call them and offer him help. And uh, he was training these people on how to answer these calls. And every now and then, the caller would run into somebody, would go, well, it sounds kind of interesting. Um, I'd like to pray about it. And so now the intention was to get a deposit, a substantial deposit from these folks, and then do nothing. And that's why he's being disbarred. He was charging people and he wasn't doing anything. And so he trained his people how to handle objections. If you've ever worked with salespeople, you know that one of the things they, they train you is how to handle objections to the sale. And when they ran into this objection for the sale that they wanted to pray, they were trained to say, oh, fantastic, can I pray with you? We're all looking for the will of God here, aren't we? At an 80% closure rate when they did that. Okay? So we need to be aware of this. <laughs> $2,000 for nothing. They, they, they sounded godly. They said the right things. Here's a question for today. How do we know? How do we know when somebody is truly godly? What are the signs 
Now we're going to answer that in these passages in Numbers. This is Balaam. Now, I'm, I got myself in a lot of trouble many years ago. Some of you were here when I taught on Philemon. I, I wanted to pronounce the name correctly, which is very similar to Philemon. Okay, and throughout the entire series, I stumbled over that word. So we're going to use the English pronunciation. Okay, the, the Hebrew pronunciation is Balaam, but we're going to call him Balaam because that's how we know him. Okay, everybody good with that? All right. So we're going to look at three historical perspectives on Balaam. You're going to reveal whether or not he's a godly man. We're going to look at who was he? We're going to look at what did he do? And then we're going to look at what did he really do? What really happened here? So let, let's take a look at who he was. By any definition of, the, definition of the word, Balaam was a prophet. Now, it, it, if we think about a prophet in Scripture, it, he's a man or a woman who speaks divinely inspired messages, messages from God. Now, some folks think that the only job a prophet has is to tell the future. But if you read about prophets in the Bible, if you look at them closely, what they usually do is they give warnings. They kind of send up flares. They, they talk to individuals and sometimes nations and frequently warning of punishment against evil. Uh, they're, they're always encouraging people to repent and turn back to God. Uh, they, they prophesy the way to a better life, the way to a closer walk with their Father in Heaven. But we also read in the Bible that not all prophets are good and godly. That's something we need to remember for today. Not all prophets are good and godly. There is such a thing as a false prophet. And we can look at Matthew and Mark and Luke and First Peter and Revelation. We see them all over the place. But the thing about false prophets is that they can appear to be godly and holy. They deceive people. They appear to be God's messengers. They know Scripture they say the right words. I mean, a false prophet never stands up and goes, hey, let's follow Satan. Everybody go with me. You know, there, there's, there's, a, there's enough dis deception, enough distortion of biblical truths that it sounds good. And, and so they, they seduce people. They bring them in. They, and so they, they say the right things. Sometimes they even do the right things. And they can indeed, and, and this is something that we need to understand as well, they can be used by God. I mean, God uses everything in creation for our good and for His glory, right? That includes false prophets. God's not sitting in heaven saying, gee, I wish He didn't say that. That's not real good for our people. So God will turn those things for His glory and for our good. So even though they can be used by God, they're still false prophets are self-serving. They're godless people. So the question before us is, which one of these is Balaam? Who is this guy? Now, now, it helps to understand where the name comes from. We know the names are important to God, amen? Uh, you know, Abraham is the father of nations. Moses came out of the water. Uh, Adam is from the dirt. So Balaam's word, name means the, the disturber of the people. And it's not in a good way. The agitator of the people. He is a false prophet. Now, how do we know that he's a false prophet? We should know by what he does, correct? We should be able to look at what he does. Maybe that doesn't work so well here. And, and so let, let's take a look at what did he do. Now, in our passage, in, in Numbers 22, Israel's headed to Canaan, the promised land. A little map of the region here. 
uh, you can see right there alongside the Jordan, uh, we've got Midian and uh, Edom and, and uh, Moab. Uh, Israel is flowing through there. All these people are agitated by Israel. Israel has become gigantic. Um, everybody's afraid of them. They've had several victories. They've already defeated several kings along the way. And now, now they're camped out in Moab. They're north. They're just north of the Dead Sea. And they're near the banks of the Jordan. And there's already a lot of tension with Moab. And there's been a bad history with Moab. Moab was populated by the sons of Lot. So the king is a man named Balak. Uh, again, names are important. Balak means a waster. Uh, to make empty. And Balak and his people are afraid because they've got all of these Jewish people walking through the land. They're afraid they're going to attack. So we have Balak, and, and under my wife's guidance here, I, she encouraged me to tell you the difference between the two because it's easy to get them confused. Amen? Balak, Balaam. Okay. Balak, last name and last word ends with a K. He's the king. Balaam is from Midian. Last letter in his, word is, his name is M. So you've got the king and you've got this guy from Midian. So Balak doesn't know what to do. He sends emissaries to a team of people to Balaam. And what he wants Balaam to do, because he knows Balaam's a prophet, he's relatively popular, he wants Balaam to prophesy against Israel. So we see this in Numbers 22.6. He says, Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me, perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land, for I know that he whom you blessed is blessed, and he whom you cursed is cursed. So, Balak's first problem is he thinks Balaam has some kind of superpower. That if, if he just asks him to do this, that something will go bad for Israel. So, here's Balaam's answer. Uh, Numbers 22, verse 8. And he said to him, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. This sounds pretty good so far. And here's what happens in 22.9. And God came to Balaam. Listen to this. God comes to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? Now, we know God's not on a fact-finding mission. Amen? Uh, so he's, he's testing Balaam. And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab has sent to me saying, behold, the peoples come out of Egypt and it covers the face of the earth. Now come curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam. Now Balaam's having dialogue with God. Catching this? You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people for they are blessed. So Balaam sends the emissaries away. I'm not going to do this. He says, the Lord has refused to let me go with you. Balak sends more emissaries, uh, people of higher stature, princes that have honor, asking Balaam to curse the Jews. 22, 18, and 19. But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. So you too... Please stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. Now, there's something interesting going on here. For the first thing we see is money has entered the, the dialogue. Uh, and, and Balaam, who's already heard from God, says, stay another night. Let me see if God changes his mind. 
Maybe the money had something to do with that. Maybe not. Okay. Then in verse 20, we see this. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise and go with them, but only do what I tell you. So the scenario is changing. Balaam saddles his donkey, and off they go. And this is where things get really interesting. I mean, it's not fascinating enough that God's having this dialogue with this prophet from Midian, who is a godless nation. There's something very important going on here, but it it gets challenging. (laughs) Numbers 22, 22. But God's anger was kindled because he went... And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey, and two servants were with him. So scholars and biblical theologians like to debate what's happening here. Why would God tell Balaam to go and then get angry at him for going? And a lot of the debate centers on this one little phrase, because he went. Uh, I think if you look at this in the NIV, it says when he went, and the idea is as he went. And we see similar situations in the Bible where God seems to shift gears a little bit. We see it in Numbers 11, uh, Numbers 12, Numbers 25. So what, what, what's going on here? Did, did God say, do this, and then when you do it, I'm going to get mad at you? What, I mean, what's happening? I'll tell you what I think. I think. I think God knows something about Balaam that we don't. I think God is operating in what we call omniscience. He knows everything. And when we talk about God knowing everything, He knows everything past, present, and future. So as with nearly every other action men take, watch this, God is concerned more with why we do what we do than He is with what we do. We just need to hold on to that. God is more concerned with why we do the things we do than what we do. Now, what we do is important, but God is always looking at the motivation of the heart. So keep that in mind as we look at Balaam's story. So still looking at what Balaam did. We see this strange incident with the donkey, starting in verse 22 and following. An angel stands in front of the donkey, and the donkey sees the angel. The angel's got this big sword. Uh, Balaam doesn't. Balaam doesn't see the angel. The donkey stops. Balaam gets mad and starts beating the donkey. Now, this is the first real sign that Balaam has a huge struggle going on. We have a donkey, a noble animal back in the first century, back, back back in Isaiah's time, back in Balaam and Balak's time but not a very intelligent one. So we have this donkey, uh, the epitome of stubbornness and stupidity, and the donkey seems to be more spiritually perceptive than Balaam, who was supposedly a famous prophet. So the donkey stops two more times. Balaam gets more angry each time, and he beats the donkey each time. And on the third beating, we see this in verse 28. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you've struck me these three times? Anybody remember Mr. Ed? (laughs) I mean, isn't that what's going on here? the donkey starts talking to Balaam. And Balaam Balaam is on this mission. He's spoken with God. 
He wants to go do this thing. He's looking for ways to get it done. And he doesn't seem to understand that this is unusual. <laughs> so did Balaam know the donkey so... I mean, you know, there's another one of these things that scholars debate about. Did, did Balaam know the donkey so well that he kind of knew what he was thinking, able to discern what the donkey thought? Uh, is this more legend than it is fact? And those debates go on and on. Uh, it, is it just kind of an example to show us that God's in control? I'll tell you what I think. I'm going with the divinely inspired scripture that says that the donkey talked. Okay? I, I can't understand Balaam, but the donkey spoke in a manner that Balaam could understand. And, and probably the most amazing thing that occurs about all this is that Balaam, instead of getting off the donkey and going, what did you just do? Did you say something to me? It, it, he just starts a dialogue with the donkey. I, I think about it. He's out in the middle of the wilderness talking to this donkey. So, verse 29, And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand. Sword, the angel's got one. Balaam can't see the angel. But then I would kill you. And the donkey says to Balaam, Am I not your donkey in which you have ridden all your life long? To this day, is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, Then the, and, and the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and saw the angel of the Lord standing away. So Balaam's having this argument with the donkey. And the Lord says, Okay, look, there's an angel standing there. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I've come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I've sinned. I did not know what you stood in the road against me. Now therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go what in the world is going on? Balaam repents. And the angel says, okay, go ahead. Go with the men. Watch this. But speak only the word that I will tell you. God keeps saying this to Balaam. Speak only the word that I will tell you. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. So we see that God uses this bizarre incident to impress upon Balaam that whatever he does, he should be very careful to say only what God tells him to say. Meanwhile, we get another hint. It's just a vague shadow of a hint again that Balaam, regardless of the fact that God speaks to him and through him, may have motives that are not completely holy. God wants to impress upon Balaam that he be accurate in what he says. And now God has Balaam's full attention. So, Balak hires Balaam, and he hears that, that Balaam is coming, and drawing there, he goes out to meet him. But the, the king of Moab is, is eager for Balaam to begin prophesying against Israel. He's hiring him to prophesy against Israel. Yet, Balaam remains eager to tell the king that he's only going to say what God tells him to say. So the two men offer up these sacrifices, then in Numbers 23, verse 7, Balaam sings a song extolling not Balak and the Moabites, but 
Israel, saying, how can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? Balaam sounded like a pretty good guy. Sounded like an obedient fellow, for the most part. So this is the first oracle, oracle that Balaam pronounces. Balak gets upset with Balaam. And we see that the king of Moab has even less spiritual discernment than Balaam, who needed a donkey to enlighten him. The king of, of Moab isn't listening to Balaam. So there, there's, there's incredible things happening here. And the same scenario plays itself out three more times. The Balaam's blessing Israel, Balak getting more frustrated each time. Ultimately, Balak gives up, or so it seems, and Balaam goes home, or so it seems, never cursing Israel. Now, if we stop reading this passage at the end of chapter 24 of Numbers, it sounds like God speaks through his prophet Balaam, Balak was foiled in his plan to curse Israel, and the Jews were able to safely proceed on. It looks like what Balaam did was a good and godly thing. Now, this is a prime example of why when we read our Bibles, we have to read the whole Bible. We can't just drop it and start making up doctrine and theology based on what we just read. We've got to look at the whole thing. There's a danger of cutting out two-thirds of it. So we miss two-thirds of what God's trying to tell us. So, at the end of 24, everything's looking pretty good. But then we have Numbers 25, verse 1. Watch this. While Israel lived in Shittim, this due east of Jericho on the other side of, of the Jordan River, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. Did you hear that? God speaks to and through Balaam preserves and protects Israel. The next thing you know, they're running off with the Moabite women. We're not sure how much time elapsed here. We do know that the Moabites were afraid of Israel and that Israel considered the Moabites their enemies. So how do we find Israel men, Israelite men, acting unfaithfully with Moabite women? It goes against everything that God had told them to do. Glad we never do that. What happened? Verse 25, 2. These invited the people, these women invited the people to their sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Beor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. In short, the prostitutes of Moab seduced the Jewish men, invited them to their parties. Come on over, we're having a big feast. There's going to be all sorts of things going on. You can join us. And the Jewish men could have, they should have refused. They knew better. God had warned them about this over and over again. But they went anyway. And they wind up, as God warns them what will happen when they begin associating with women of another nation, they wind up worshiping other gods. And it happens in Peor, which also happens to be where the last oracle of Balaam takes place back in 23 and 24. So after being preserved and protected by God, who uses Balaam to accomplish his will among his people, Israel goes and does more harm to themselves than any war could ever have done. And they do it by trying to satisfy themselves. There's all sorts of life lessons in there, aren't there? 
How'd that happen? What happened? Well, to find out, we've got to guess what? We've got to read more Scripture. Okay, we go all the way to Numbers chapter 31. We find there are consequences for this sin of God's people. Be very careful with this. They remain throughout the Old Testament the chosen people of God. But we see time and time again that they have to suffer the consequences for their actions. It doesn't, it doesn't make them not the chosen people of God. It doesn't kick them out of their relationship, but there are earthly consequences for their earthly actions. There's a price to pay for disobedience. A plague falls on the camp. Somebody once told me, God can never send something He doesn't have and He doesn't have any sickness. Here we are. <laughs> okay. Later on in chapter 25, we see that Midian falls into God's sights. And now they're in trouble. And they're going to pay for beguiling you in the matter of Peor, he says to Israel. So we find that the Midianites, the people of Balaam, had something to do with Israel's trouble. So in chapters 27 through 30, we see God's grace in action. There are consequences. And even though these people have sinned, even though they suffered the consequences, God begins to prepare them to enter into the promised land. Their actions do not negate the promises of God. So the plague comes, there's trouble, but they're going to the promised land. Why? Because God promised He would take them there. So then in chapter 21, God commands Moses to exact, to exact vengeance on Midian. Why? Because some of their women were involved in seducing the Israelite men. Are you watching what's happening here? So some of the Midianite women were involved in this plot to drag the Israelite men away. And how did that happen? Well, we find that out in verse 31. During the battle for Midian, Balaam is killed, but some of Israel's soldiers bring back some Midianite women. They have not learned their lesson yet. They bring back the Midianite women, and Moses finds out, and we hear him say this in Numbers 31, 15, Have you let all the women live? Behold, these on On Balaam's advice, those women were there seducing Israel's men on Balaam's advice. On Balaam's advice, it caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And so the plague came among the congregation of the Lord. Balaam, who refused to prophesy against Israel, Managed to think of another way to defeat him. Managed to think of another way to undermine their relationship with him. He advised Balak and the Midianites to get Israel through their men, and it worked. Why would Balaam do that? Now we've got to go all the way to 2 Peter to get the answer for this. See what's happening? Peter's talking about false prophets. He's talking about people that pretend to be prophets of God and are not. And he compares them to Balaam. So, the divinely inspired Scripture labels Balaam as a false prophet. Listen to this. 2 Peter 2.15 
forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. He's talking about false prophets. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. Did you see that? He loved gain from wrongdoing. So Balaam was after the money. He wanted Balak's bribe. And even though he was afraid to speak against God, even though God used him, spoke to him, and spoke through him, he found a way to get the money. Balaam was the guy that came up with the idea to seduce Israel into being unfaithful to their God. Rather ironic, isn't it? Balaam is so seduced by money in his idea that he misses the chance to be faithful to God. What Balaam really did, brothers and sisters, was doom himself, not the Jews. We're reading about Balaam 2,000 years later and then 2,000 years after that. So there's our three historical perspectives that reveal whether or not Balaam was a godly man. Who was he? He was a prophet, but he was a false prophet. What did he do? He appeared to speak for God and protect his people, but what did he really do? He found a way to get rich by plotting against God's people, thus plotting against God himself. So now that leads us back to our original question, how, how do we know if someone's godly? The, the problem with that guy on the phone trying to raise up business, trying to sell bankruptcy protection, divorce protection, be willing to pray with folks is that he's a stranger. His victims didn't know him. He's just a voice on the phone. But he sounded like a Christian and people had a tendency to trust him because he said the right words. The way to know if somebody is truly godly takes time, brothers and sisters. It takes time and familiarity. There's a lot of really good teaching out there right now. And it's available to us via the internet. We're on the internet right now. I get it. I get it. Our TVs, our phones. But we really, we really don't know the teachers, do we? With the rise of celebrity preachers. I mean, it's a phenomenon we have all around us today. There's hundreds, if not thousands of people proclaiming to be prophets and apostles. It can be easy to embrace them. It can be easy to assume that they're good and godly people. But I find it sad that many of these internet sensations spend more time asking for money than they do preaching the Word of God or living the lifestyle of a holy, sanctified person. Living lifestyles that are far beyond the lifestyles of, of the people that they're preaching to. And while some of them may be on the up and up, the only way to tell is to know them, to know how they live, to know their hearts. And this takes time. The newest, most popular, most dynamic celebrity sensation almost always disappoints in the long run, don't they? I mean, we see it over and over. And it happens not just in the church, but it happens in entertainments. The big sensation today has a big fall tomorrow. Church needs more people like our brother Scott. Been with us for the last 11 years. He's served this congregation well and faithfully. We've seen his heart. We've been in his home. The evidence of him being a godly man 
and leading a godly family is there for us to experience on our own. We can see it. Needs younger men like Pastor Zach back there in the corner who have a deeply grounded commitment to preaching God's Word, untainted and undiluted. He's not afraid to go to the hard passages and teach them. I love that heart. Our community needs truth and far more than it needs some talking head that wears a $5,000 set of tennis shoes. Do you know that there's a site for pastors, for TV preachers that wear five dollars and $10,000 sneakers? I didn't even know you could spend that much money on a pair of tennis shoes. We need people that are dedicated to truth. We need someone that is willing to serve God and serve His people more than serving themselves. We need a Paul or a Peter. Uh, we need uh, a Scott. We need a Zach. We need people like Phil Mast at Dayspring. We need people like Keith McCullough over, over at Mount Zion. Uh, Pastor Dennis over at Trinity Lutheran. We need more people like Decker Tapscott and Juan and Nikki Reyes of Mission Christian all of whom have stood the test of time, stood the test of preaching the Word of God. And time, time is what we need. We need to be able to have a personal interaction with the people that we place our spiritual welfare into their hands. That's a good practical lesson. Know your teachers. Pastor John here. Looks like we had some technical difficulties. We got cut off there right at the end. Uh, let me just fill in the last few minutes because I think they're important. Uh, we talked about knowing your teachers and how that takes time. Uh, but that practical lesson is there in the scriptures, but there's another one as well. The Old Testament not only tells us a lot about how to live as godly people, but every passage in the Old Testament will reveal some aspect of the character and nature of God, the God into whose image we are being conformed. What we learn in this portrait of Balaam is that God knows, God knew all about Balaam. There was never a moment when God was waiting to see what Balaam would do. He knew from the first words he spoke to this false prophet that Balaam would betray the chosen people. And he knew that Israel would fall into their sin. They do it over and over again throughout the Old Testament. And God loves them so much, he still sends the Savior to them. God loves you the same way. And he knows. He knows every time you fell, every time you will stumble, every time you fall short and fail of being godly. And he still sends the Savior to you. I hope that gives you some comfort. If you don't know Jesus, I hope you see that no matter what you've done, no matter what you do, God still loves you enough to send his son to save you. God bless you and have a great day.